and welcome. It's the Filmmakers Podcast. Yes, that's right, you're listening to the Filmmakers Podcast. It's a podcast where we talk indie film, from studio films to indie films, everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Today, we're talking about how to write, produce, direct, and star in your own film with brilliant guy Josh Fallan. We also talk about his new films... Ask for Jane and Love is Dead. Wow, what a week it's been. Because not only have I been casting and crewing up for King Arthur Knights of the Round Table, which I'm about to shoot in five weeks. Oh my gosh, five weeks. It's going so fast, this prep. I am also <laughs> about to launch my first ever personal crowdfunding campaign with Dan Richardson. It is my Food for Thought documentary crowdfunding launch tomorrow. That's Wednesday for those of you who are listening to this on Tuesday. So yeah, I am super, super pumped and excited myself and Dan have been working like dogs to try and get it all ready, to get the crowdfunder video ready and the page ready and the emails ready and the whole launch ready. We've also just dropped our teaser trailer, our first trailer for the film itself. And you can watch that now. Link is in the show notes. Ah, and if you do like it, all I say is please come support us, even if that's just a retweet. But if you can donate and give something to this, I think, brilliant cause, um, which is all about helping people eat correctly, the whole vegan phenomenon, how to help animals, and our general health and the environment and the safety of our planet. It's just trying to do some good within filmmaking and make a film that... that people can share and people can go yeah okay that can make a difference which is something I always wanted to do and I'm actually getting off my ass and I'm doing it uh, and maybe it's the wrong time because there's so much going on but you know what sod it it keeps me alive and it makes me feel like a filmmaker that's what we all aspire to be right making films so do it if, if I can do it and do a few at the same time so can you so get up off your ass and do it now and be inspired and do it. And do please support the crowdfunding campaign. It starts tomorrow. Oh, wow. Food for thought, everyone. It gives me food for thought, that's for sure. Right. Thank you so much to all those guys and girls out there who gave us so much love for last week's double podcast episode from the live Make Your Film event. Uh, so much joy and so many nice comments. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you got something out of that. And thank you for all those that took part and got involved as well. The next Make Your Film event is on the 5th of March. That's literally just over a week away um, where we already have the director and producers and stars, Fizz and Ginger, Matt and Tori butler Hart, and the producer of Await Further Instructions and God's Own Country, Jack Tarling. We also have a, another guest we're about to announce as well. So if you want tickets for that, they are in the show notes. So Indie Film shout-outs this week, obviously to all the people who, who gave us so much love this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And also to Robbie McCain, Michael Hode, uh, Alejandro Montoya Marin, whose crowdfunder is on right now. And it's about to finish. And it's for his film Millennium Bugs. What a guy. Do support him if you can. Link is in the show notes. And also a big shout-out to my young lead from the dare, Mitchell Norman. His dad, Dave Norman, was listening to the podcast two weeks ago and I was talking about not having a poster for the dare, not having anywhere to print it. He heard that, messaged me and went, mate, I'll print some for you. 
what a guy. So I met him the other day and Mitch, we had a lovely catch up and he gave me these brilliant posters. You'll see it in one of my videos this week when I'm promoting the, the, in the podcast. It'll be in the background. Thank you. Thank you. They're not actually... Uh, the studio hasn't uh, approved them yet, but I'll sneak them in. Maybe, maybe they'll just be in the background somewhere out of focus. But thank you, Dave. Really appreciate that. Also, shout out to Mark V. Price. His film Fistful of Lead comes out on the 5th of March, the same day as the Make Your Film event. He hooked me up with the BFI, who had screenings all this week and this weekend. I hosted at the Future Film Festival uh, on Sunday for the director Chi Chung Chong's film Redcom One. Which is out now. You can go buy his brilliant action zombie flick that he made on a micro budget. I had a brilliant chat with him and Mark Strange and some of the brilliant cast and crew who were involved in that. But if you want to get your hands on a really cool micro budget zombie film that has some brilliant behind the scenes, by the way, then check out Redcom One. I'll go. On, I'll try and get Chi on the podcast because he's going to be a great guest about how how you have to really think outside the box to get. He got a load of free extras. He got tanks for free. This guy's a legend. This is how you make indie films. And finally, to the wonderful Peter Story at Greenlit, he's about to launch the first ever crowdfunding site for filmmakers called Greenlit. I went to his course recently that he did on crowdfunding, and it is fantastic. The next one for you guys to go to, and I highly, highly recommend this, uh, is on uh, the 28th of February, literally this week, and the 7th of March. Uh, link is in the show notes to that. Recommend it. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So shout out to Peter. Thank you. You've been so helpful with helping me and Dan get our crowdfunder sorted and live. Thank you. Okay, Rain Dance this week. We've got a brilliant offer for you. It's the boozing and smoozing session, Monday the 11th of March at 6.30. This is where you go to network. This is where you go to meet writers and producers and directors and get shit made. This is Rain Dance. It's boozing and smoozing. It's on Monday the 11th of March at 6.30, Century Club in Soho, London. And you, you wonderful podcast listeners, you wonderful filmmakers, podcast listeners, can get in for free. Yeah, you heard me right. You can get in for free if you email party at raindance.co.uk and quote Filmmakers Podcast. Head on down. What have you got to lose? You get in for free. Indie filmmakers out there, people wanting to make their first film or collaborate with others, get on it. Get down to Raindance. Link is in the show notes. Right. Let's get on to today's rather wonderful, insightful podcast all about indie filmmaking with the brilliant Josh Folan. Enjoy, sit back, relax, whatever you're doing, if you're in the car, you're on the train, you're just chilling in the park. Be inspired, and after this podcast, do something to make your indie film. All right, enjoy this week's Filmmakers Podcast. I am delighted today to be joined on the Filmmakers Podcast by Josh Folan. Hello, Josh, how are you doing? Good, man. How are you? Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. It really is. Uh, whereabouts are you? Whereabouts are you in the world to tell uh, our listeners? I, as of May, I am in Los Angeles. Nice. Uh, I was in, I've been in New York for, uh, I was pretty close to 13 years before moving out here. Wow. Um, okay. So yeah, I'm delighted. It's, it's much sunnier out here. I'm, I'm delighted with the change. It is. I was speaking <laughs> to uh, Dan Richardson, a fellow host today, and he's in LA right now, and we were video messaging and I'm in my garden, it's raining, playing with the dog in the rain and the mud. And he's <laughs> driving along beast, yeah. all, along the coastal roads, beautiful sun. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah I'm, I'm like, I'm, I, it's, I'm like 
12 minutes from toes in the sand by foot. So yeah. it's, it's, it couldn't be, that's couldn't nice, be any closer right? to the water. Yeah. <laughs> and that's always pleasant. And that's where you wanted to become a filmmaker or did you just fall into no. it? Talents? How did it start for you? Yeah. I briefly worked in the field, uh, even before I graduated, actually, I had a full-time job and uh, working as a financial advisor, kind of doing people's retirement planning, go mm-hmm. whatever they were saving for, retirement, children's education funding, buying a boat, whatever it is they wanted to do with their money. Uh, I would sit down and kind of figure out, help them figure that out, and then sell them the actual financial products I had, the, the licenses to you know, sell mutual funds and shit like that. Sounds good. It sounds in my mind. I'm imagining Better Call Saul, and he's going around the old people's homes, and he's selling them it's financial not, advice. Was it, it not similar? Different. Any sales field <laughs> like that is very in line with that idea, especially right. in the beginning, because you're you know you're building a business from from scratch. Yeah. Uh, and the only way you can do that is by just schlepping around and you know yeah. convincing that first and second and third person to actually believe that you're capable of what you're telling them you're you're capable of. Which was not a bad proving ground for film producing because it's mm-hmm. much the same thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you're going around saying I can, I can make this film with no proof or anything. But, no so give me some money. Yeah, no proof whatsoever. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So how did you? How did filmmaking come about then? Uh, yeah. So I, I, I was doing that, and I didn't really honestly care for it. Um, yeah. There's a lot of boring reasons for that, but I won't get into that. The uh, I had been doing little modeling bullshit. Uh, in college in Ohio and some pictures got to an agency in New York and I had a buddy living there um, that was also working in finance by happenstance and uh, I went out to meet with that agency for a couple of weeks crashed on my buddy's couch and it went okay so there was like a six month period where I was working for the firm back in Ohio and then flying out to New York for a week or two a month to do that crazy stuff and it went okay mm-hmm. and after like six months of that, my lease ran up my apartment back in Ohio, and I didn't like that job, as I already mentioned, and yeah. I was kind of just like, fuck it. Why not see what happens? Why and not? uh stacked all my client files up my boss's desk, wrote her a letter thanking her for everything, and drove mm-hmm. to New York for that. And I was there for like maybe a month or two, and I booked something for Comedy Central that yeah. was – Kind of a half acting, half modeling job, and that got me. Or I started taking some acting classes because I had no, you know, moving there even for modeling. Like acting seemed like an impo- a completely impossible <laughs> uh, right. thing. That is not even remotely feasible as, as something to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I kind of fell into that uh, via that like you know halfsy job, and then took some classes, got a role on one of the soaps, All My Children, mm-hmm. uh, that went a few years and that got me an acting agent uh, so I did you know I was do- I would never say I was succeeding as an actor but I was certainly uh, doing somewhat legitimate work here and there and while I was working on that soap uh, one of the other kind of uh, day players on there he and I started a little theater company mm. where we were producing theater shows with the actually important people on the soap opera which soap opera fans are very very dedicated right. <laughs> so brilliant uh yeah so the, the so that's what kind of got me into producing and that went okay because of, of the the soap opera fan base mm-hmm. um and after maybe a year or so of that uh i was doing some little horror film six kids locked in a house yeah getting chased by a monster kind of thing and one of yep. the other male leads in that um had a script that was similar to one that i had written 
um, which would eventually become All God's Creatures, which was my first written produced feature, came out in 2012, I think it was. Yeah, 2011, 2012, according to, yeah. to this. But so, yeah, amazing. Yeah, so so in our naivety, we thought going out with these two scripts uh, yeah. would make it would make fundraising easily easier because <laughs> we. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, having two products to sell is, is way better than one, Surely, and, which was yeah. Not, yeah, not true. It just kind of confused and convoluted the situation. But we did uh, scrape together enough to make one of them, again, that being All God's Creatures. So that's kind of, I guess, a long-winded way of saying I completely and randomly <laughs> fell into each step of this process, you know. Amazing. And you were doing stand-up as well, right? I mean, you, you, uh, you got on I, Saturday Night Live. You did some – I mean, maybe it's acting roles in there, but – Still. No, no, no. I didn't. It was never Saturday Night Live. Well, yeah, no, I did. That was that was just a little skit. I did. I guess I did do. You Saturday did Night Saturday Night Live. That. Yeah, that's <laughs> cool as fuck. Uh, that like, that no. was just honestly that was borderline background work, man. I was oh, okay, I was like okay. I was one of the like frat buddies for Bobby Moynihan right. uh, on this. Um, what the hell was the name of that Jersey Shore? It was yeah, like a Jersey okay. Shore skit. Okay. And I was one of the like super fratty dudes who was yelling with uh, he was playing Snooky. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, yeah. Uh, great I was fun. like I was like one of the dudes that was on a date with Snooky. Yes. Um, so yeah, so I yeah I did I had that the 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 uh, the, the, the half acting half modeling job was mm-hmm. very similar to that actually it was a sh- uh the, was the Comedy Central gig that was a skit on a stand up show uh, and they were doing like a Halloween skit. Um, that was also kind of a play on some reality television bullshit. Mm. Um, I guess it's easy to make fun of, maybe, is what that proves. I but. think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but then with All God's uh, Creatures being your first one, how yes. did you get it out there? Because you made it for very little money. But it yes. did come out there. You did get it released. How how did you go about doing it? Especially when you, obviously, you'd been putting the TV shows out, or TV movies out, if you like. But then suddenly you're putting this out. What was the difference? How did you do it? The, well, you know, a lot of trial and error, I guess, is probably yeah. the easy answer. The, you know, we, that was being the first feature, we, of course, none of us, me and the other three guys that were kind of the figureheads on the project, none of us had ever ran that gauntlet before. So we had no idea what we were doing. Um, yeah, we made the thing for, we shot it for, like, I think it was $21,500. And, um, did a little crowdfund after the fact for finishing funds, mm-hmm. took it up to like twenty five, and then to deliver it to the distributor that we eventually got it uh, to, to to take it on, uh, we paid out of pocket the last five grand to kind of deliver the film. Wow. Uh, so it was thirty k all in, and we. Um, you know, when we finished shooting that thing, I mean, post on that film was like a year and a half because again, we had we had, we had no money. Yeah, you do we it in your doing. own time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, we were scraping together, clawing together, kind of the post sound work and, and editing and stuff. And mm-hmm. when it got time to sell the film, again, it was kind of like I don't even—I honestly don't remember how I even would have gotten wind of it. I guess probably I, I was insatiable about reading independent filmmaking books and you know like consuming any any sort of instructional <laughs> yes. um, medium I could get my hands on. Um, and I got wind of the American American film market, which they do in Santa Monica every every year, every mm-hmm. every fall. And I went there with that, and honestly, the actual attendance of the market wasn't very fruitful. Uh, and I still say this this day, even you know, uh, I guess almost a decade later, I was just there this this past uh, November uh, selling the new things. And um, you know, being there as an independent filmmaker doesn't do a ton for you. You know, a lot of 
thankfully, especially the good companies that you want to work for or work with rather, are there selling stuff. They're not there acquiring necessarily. And they're definitely not acquiring small little independent titles without huge names in them, you know? So the being physically there is almost just kind of a cursory part of the process where you really make headway and how, the way we sold all God's creatures was all the prep work I did in advance of the market, trying to set up meetings and establishing rapport and contact with companies. And then the follow up after the market, um, you know, again, kind of trying to, to, to do you want to, will you look at my thing? Will you look at my thing? Will you look at my thing? And then eventually <laughs> once they get finished dealing with all the more important things. They go, okay, fine. I'll look at your fucking thing. And in the case of all God's creatures, uh, one of the companies liked it enough to take it on. And that's, you know, that, that's how we, you know, uh, basically hundreds of emails is how we got someone right. <laughs> to right. distribute that film with no stars that was made for 30 grand. Yeah. And we did okay. We actually, you know, we, we got a little advance, which in, in hindsight, wow. I can't honestly can't believe. Wow. That's pretty <laughs> special. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We recouped some of the money up front. Um, and, and that was probably unexpected by us. And our investors were probably uh, very delighted to, I'm sure when they wrote us those checks, they assumed they would never see a dollar of that again. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so were probably pretty and how did you actually um, got cash from people then? Like you say, your investors, they actually did put in in the first place. You yeah, got, yeah. Yeah. And, and great. Yeah. This, yeah. The, with that first one, uh, the first few of, of my films, we just, the past couple that I've produced, we finally kind of started getting outside of our network and, and I, I wouldn't, you know, there's still none of them are like just strangers that I'm meeting entirely professionally. Everyone yeah. who's ever invested. Um, and, and especially the ones that I write and direct, which are always a little weird and harder to, <laughs> to finance and distribute <laughs> and monetize. Um, you know, our, our people are just random. Uh, the, the biggest, honestly, the biggest producing recommendation I could give or a piece of advice would be to curate those weird relationships, w- weird relationships in your life. Uh, Cause you never know, uh, especially if you're younger, you know, I started doing this stuff when I was 20, mid twenties, like mm. you never know where the people around you are going to go in life. And, and all the people that have invested in my films outside of friends and family are people that you know, ended up doing very well for themselves one way or another. And they're working in a field or in a job that isn't necessarily entirely fulfilling in one way or another. And I bring what I sell them to get them to, to, to invest in a, in a a film project is participation, participation, participation. Why can't I say participation, participation (laughs) in, uh, in in something that's you know outside their wheelhouse you know that they get to kind of dabble in an artistic uh endeavor that they otherwise would you know never have exposure to and and being able to participate in something like that uh is very appealing to someone who is working 60 hours a week doing very well but not really getting to do much else you know absolutely and and yeah all the people that have funded things outside again of friends and family uh that's kind of the mo of it in the case of all god's creatures there were none of those that was all friends and family right. okay. <laughs> that was uh you know i kind of i got i i actually have the breakdown in that book that case study book i wrote about it uh mm. filmmaking the hard way yes which is just kind of like you know literally an uh, a a to z how we did it uh of the film and i think it was like if i if i'm recalling that page correctly <laughs> visually in my mind it was like 5000 from my co-producer's dad Yes. Like sixty two fifty from his uncle. Sixty two fifty. I love that. Yeah. Five grand from my girlfriend at the time. Nice. And 
some some other little uh, uh, hundred bucks here, hundred bucks there from like one of them was like my bar manager at the bar I bartended at. Yeah. Uh, my aunt gave us like five hundred bucks. Her dad gave us like eight hundred and fifty. Um, so yeah, we kind of coddled it all together. Um, Which is from- great, and they didn't expect it back, I suppose. Even though you were saying, I mean, Look, this oh, is how I, it I, works. I certainly didn't say. I mean, I've always been honest. And honestly, another good piece of uh, producing advice, you know, whenever I sit down with anyone to invest in independent film, one of the first things I say in the conversation is like, this needs to be money that you can never see again. Like, I'm not going to bullshit you and tell you that this is a a lucrative way to invest your money. Like the odds are we're if we'll be lucky to make it back. If we make money, it'll be a borderline like that's 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 a success. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So that you need to be investing in this for a reason other than you know, financial remuneration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To support me for one, but also cause the excitement of being, you can come exactly. on set, come to the premiere, <laughs> tell your mates, you've, you know, exec producer on a film. That's the cool stuff, right? Yep. Yeah. 100%. And especially with that, that, that first one, you know, being friends and family, they're just literally, they, we believe in you when we want, we love you and we want you to succeed. So here's some money, you know? <laughs> right, right. And did you make the money back for them? Did you make any? We, we are not in the black on that. No, we, right. we're still, we, we have since, uh, kind of the, 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 um, timeline of that distribution deal. We ended up the company, uh, honestly, I don't know how they're doing now. I'm assuming not as well. Uh, we eventually just got the rights back to the film after ah. maybe five or so year. Like this was like within the last two years or so. So we, you know, with the with the way an advance works, and I don't want to, you know, get too detailed and boring in the uh, financials of a distribution deal, but especially with an advance, that's recoupable. So the money we got up front to do that deal was always going to be, you know, we were we weren't going to start seeing any actual revenue from that deal until they recouped their money. I'm not sure they ever even did. Right. <laughs> Okay. Uh, which is probably what led to us eventually just getting the rights back, maybe. Mm. Um, so now that we, you know, we, we, but you don't have to thankfully give them that money back, even if they don't recoup. So, you know, we got the advance in the initial uh, parts of the deal. And now that we have the film back, we're monetizing again on our own accord um, through, you know, various digital platforms and stuff. So yeah, self distributing, you know, I, I, I suppose, if right. you like. Yes. Great. Correct. Which, which is honestly, you know, doing that with my older titles is how I got the i guess know-how or maybe even the courage to outright do it with my new film love is dead you know so um yeah basically the idea is i think we will you know eventually recoup now that we have rights and you can kind of again kind of coddle together revenue streams Mm -hmm. uh the way self-distribution works these days which is very cool in my opinion that we're kind of getting some power and some control over that as filmmakers yep agreed Uh, yeah it is it's really good for us filmmakers at the moment if you know what you're doing and you learn about it you can self-distribute and you can find the right channels and platforms for your film that the money can come back to you. And that's how it should be. So you can make your next one or pay your investors back, whatever it is. Very important. At least someone. <laughs> At least someone. At least someone. Um, so then you, from there, you then kind of made quite a few short films with some brilliant titles. I have to read some of these out because I really enjoyed them. <laughs> Shitty Roommates with Adolf Hitler. Brilliant. Uh, it's Just One Line, which I imagine is... An actor, <laughs> maybe. With, you've just got one line, but in the UK that, that made me laugh anyway. Um, Patty Me, minus Patty. Um, the Lives of Hamilton Fish and What Would Bear Do? I mean, it, to me, that's great, great. Uh, this film is everything as well. It's, you know, the, These titles go on and it was like, great. Yeah. It made loads well, of cool a, shorts. A, a title is huge. Yeah, yeah, a title especially is huge. now when they're just like... Uh, uh, 
you know, there's just so much stuff. Like, yeah. what? How do you get something to jump out to, to someone when they're looking at a million other things flying by on their mm-hmm. whatever platform they watch their stuff on? You know, a title is certainly one way to do it. Yeah, uh, yeah there's some. There's certainly some fun titles in there. The uh, that's you know. With the shorts in particular, there's just such like a hodgepodge of how those things happened. Mm. Like Shitty Roommates is actually uh, was a kind of like a, a web series idea I had. The ah. idea being, um, you know, Shitty Roommates is basically the concept. And the idea was taking these historically, uh, uh, historically significant figures uh, who were despicable <laughs> in one way or another yeah. or are renowned as being despicable um, and kind of dropping them into a modern New York uh, roommate situation. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, yeah, flat share, exactly, Sounds to put it in the UK vernacular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, in, in that case, it was basically what would it be like to live with Adolf Hitler in his 20s in a modern, you know, in a modern New York roommate situation. So, Brilliant. you know, it was... Yeah. The, the straight the straight guy in in, in the story and in, 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 in the piece comes home and Adolf's in his room he's left this entire like German sauerkraut and Grolsch beer disaster in the kitchen and whatever and he's in his room masturbating to like this horrible German porn and there's like <laughs> loud German death metal playing and stuff yeah uh, yeah and then it's it's about the roommate dealing you know, kicking Adolf Hitler out of his apartment basically because Adolf subletting you know yeah because so, Adolf yeah. sucks. Basically. Yeah, Adolf sucks. Yeah, he's got you know he's like he's he's uh he's he's captured what he thinks anyways is a, is a Jewish guy at, at Jamba Juice and he's holding him hostage in his in his closet. So clearly it's a very realistic, very and, realistic and, 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 and serious piece. <laughs> but uh, this won you yeah. the BAFTA, right? <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. See, yeah. I, I had other ideas with that too that I just never got around to doing. I, Osama bin Laden was another one I had right. where. You know, I, I was thinking, you know, the, the guy comes home from a work trip and Osama's running a, uh, a terrorist training camp in the backyard. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he has to deal with that. So, OK, yes. which, which kind of sounds quite realistic, that one. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, Perhaps, um, yeah. so, so great. Made some great fun shorts. Uh, and then you co-produced the body. Was that next for you? Or were you also trying to? Were you also uh, producing well, your? I features? guess kind of you know I've I've at this point I'm up to like I'm over double digits on the producing stuff. Yeah. So yeah, um, body was a ways down the road. I went all I went all God's creatures was that first written produced feature. Yeah. Uh, very quickly thereafter, I I wrote and directed and then also produced. Uh, what would bear do it was like a year and some change later. Um, and that was kind of, that was just like a, literally a super simple, uh, slacker buddy concept, uh, that, uh, I directed out almost out of necessity. Like I wrote that and it was such a, um, <laughs> such a goofy, dumb comedy that, uh, I didn't, one of the things I learned with all God's creatures was, and I, and I don't say this, I've, I've told this story enough times where hopefully the, the, the guys who directed it, uh, don't take this as a slight and i don't think they they should but you know when you when you write a a feature or Mm. or write any any screenplay and then you hand it off to other people you know the entire filmmaking process is about passing it through these different conduits yeah uh these creative mediums and obviously material is going to change when it passes through another human being as they interpret it and then do their creative thing so it's not to say this is even a surprise but you know with all god's creatures i wrote that and then two other guys directed it and in turn the final product is not 
exactly as I envisioned it when I sat in. And it's never going to be exactly as you envisioned it when you're sitting there writing. But uh, there are things that are different than what I would have done, you know. And, like, I'm entirely pleased with what Ryan and Frank did with, with All God's Creatures. But in doing this highly specific brand of comedy to me with my second film uh, that I wrote, I thought especially, again, being comedy such a nuanced thing, mm. I thought passing it through another human being uh, could could go poorly. It was already going to be a stretch <laughs> to make this work <laughs> an idea. Yeah. If I gave it to someone else and they got it even kind of off, I didn't yep. think there was any hope it was going to be any good. Fine. So, so you were like, I'm going to do this myself. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to direct this myself. And, and that is, is kind of how the directing thing started happening, uh, is just literally out of necessity. Uh, so that, that was like a year and some change later. And then the next thing that I wait, wait, well, just just to go back on that, because it's fascinating for us to learn that that was the first thing you directed and certainly first feature in that sense. So tell us how that experience was from going from producing to suddenly and you're in it as well. And it's it's a really cool, it's like a comedy experience and it's really cool. So how do how was that experience directing it? It was interesting, man. It's it it's well one, you know, I, I had I that was literally the very first thing I directed, which is probably not the smartest way to do it. I probably should have directed some, you know, shorter format things. But uh, you've beforehand. been you produced stuff before, you've been in loads of stuff, so I mean Yeah, no, I mean yes, I you know the, the, I, none of this stuff is that hard, in my opinion. Like filmmaking <laughs> is, is not rocket science, you know. Uh, you know, maybe doing it at like a incredibly proficient, prolific level is certainly difficult and, requ- and and is something that very few human beings are capable of. But I wasn't making no any grand opus with what would Bear do, so it's not like sure, um, sure. You know, it it uh, was any a, a, a particularly demanding piece. Um, so. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I learned a ton. There's no question. I mean, I, I, regardless of what I may have seen as a producer prior to that, and then I, you know, I had been on a ton of sets as an actor, and you, of course, are very involved in the directing process then because you're working <laughs> right there with the director. Indeed. So you see how it's done, and uh, you know, maybe that's certainly not the same as physically doing it, uh, particularly, I think, the preparation required to do it well. Uh, you don't see that necessarily as an actor, or at least not all of it. And you know, so there, there's certainly a lot I learned. Um, but it also, it, 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 I guess maybe the, the, the best story I could tell from that experience was how much it taught me about other things in the process. Even acting, you know, mm. I died acting on already. And uh, as a director, especially you know, as being an actor in the piece, one of the leads, like yeah. taught me a lot about. Because, uh, you know, it, it, prior to this as an actor, maybe I approached things where you're only worried about your character, you know? Yes. You, you're, yeah. Uh, what, what is what am I trying? What is this character trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. Where is this character going? What's his arc? Um, what What's what's his story? And as the director, obviously, you have to worry about everyone. And yeah. what it taught me was as an actor, you it, I think you're better served as an actor if you're thinking about everything, you know. And this is this is this is carried over into every part of the process, um, uh, being involved in everything. Even as you know, I edit now as well. It's just mm. you learn so much working very closely with these people, and then as you do them, you realize, oh, this is how this informs this part of the process and that part of the process. And I think it teaches you to do the other things uh, so much better and so much. Um, I don't know. I mean, nurturing is maybe a you know a bit of an overkill of a word, but like it, you know, a, a, as a director, it learned it taught me how to both you know 
treat the actors, uh, uh, do it, pr- provide an environment for them to do their job even better. And then once I am a, uh, uh, just working as an actor on something else, it allows me to create a better environment for the director on that project yeah. because it taught me. I you, obviously you just get their perspective. You know, I don't think maybe that maybe I'm open to explain this a little too much. But no, but that makes uh, total sense. As an actor, you before you've done any producing or directing side, you kind of go, okay, it's about me. I hit my mark. I say my lines. It's about me. Camera's on me. When you see the other side of it, the director's side of it and the crew side, you go, oh, oh, it's not just about me and the acting performance. It's about everything else. And that makes you a better actor or a better performer. It just does from seeing other people's jobs. I think every actor should learn just at least go on the other side for a minute and go, oh, okay, I won't be yeah. an arsehole anymore. I won't do and, this and, and, anymore. And what, too, doing, having done all these things, you know, I mean, the, some of the film, even maybe what led to me uh, trying, wearing all these hats uh, eventually and, and even wanting to mm. uh, is, you know, the filmmakers I love are the, you know, the Duplass brothers, Joe Swanberg. I imagine you like uh, Wes Anderson as well. It's your vibe. Right. Oh, uh, no. Wes Anderson's actually a little overstylized for me. I mean, okay. I, you know, he makes great films, but yeah, he, I, Wes Anderson, he, it's every frame is a painting, man. So yeah. it's you know, it's yeah. like you can't. I, I work in a low budget medium for the most part. Like you don't have time to to make every frame beautiful. It's true. <laughs> You'd love it to be, but you can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I would love to have that luxury, mm. uh, but it's hard for me to even almost relate to it uh, to some degree. Uh, but no, I mean, he makes fantastic <laughs> films, but you know, the Duplass brothers and, and, and Joe Swanberg, they've, they're about output. They're about the story more so they even are, than, yeah. than the, the aesthetic of it because you know, they are usually also, I mean, less so these days as they become more successful, but mm. particularly in their earlier days, they were, you know, just get the goddamn tell the story, get the goddamn thing done, and mm. let's 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 get on with our lives here. You know, Absolutely. it's not that precious, and, and I I really respect that. If someone can, you know, understand the limits, the constraints of the environment that we're working in, uh, and and be able to um, roll with the punches, kind of, you know, the with Ask for Jane, like the 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 director Rachel Carey was the first time feature director and you know we actually that was a period piece and we have a little bit we had a little bit of money for it even relative to how i often am <laughs> forced to work um, <laughs> but we still had to make a ton of concessions if you're shooting a, a a a film in the late 60s early 70s and you have you know the the budget i'll throw out is sub 500k and mm. if, you, if that's if that's the budget range you're working in on a period piece with 73 speaking roles 54 locations 24 days to shoot it like Everything is not going to be the way you want it as a director. It's just not possible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the first instances we had on set were thing, you know, we didn't have the thing that we were supposed to have. And there's just no way to fix it. Like that first time that as, the, as a producer, the first time the director looks at you and goes, OK, I understand. We'll make it work like that's mm-hmm. like, oh, God, it's, I, there's no there's no sweeter sound mm-hmm. uh, of someone who can, you know, do incredible creative output or, or manage incredible creative output uh but understand the macro of the environment that we're doing it in you know and yes. be able to balance the, such a difficult 
skill set to have, I think. And yeah, you know, I the first time you're working with a, with a director, that's like the first, like, how is this person going to handle the shit? Yeah, because there <laughs> is. Know? There's so much yeah. shit. And actually, yeah. they can freak out. They can. There's so many ways you can go as a person when yeah. you've got your vision and what you want to shoot. And then actually you get there and you go, well, yeah, you can't shoot like that. And yeah, you can't do that. And you can't do that. Right. Suddenly... So can you- can you solve problems? Yeah, well, basically, yeah. is what directing is on low budget, solving problems and still getting the shots you like. Um, as for Jane, so our listeners know, is about a group of determined Midwestern women who begin providing safe but illegal abortions um, in this. It's basically a period drama. It's it's really, if, uh, the trailer will be in the show notes. It's so cool. If you can get a copy of this, it's brilliant. Female-led, directed by Rachel Carey, uh, as Josh yep. just said. It's, yeah, we, it's a great film. We, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, um, we are doing the festival thing. We shot it uh, the tail end of last summer, not this past, the one before. Mm-hmm. And we're getting kind of... Uh, Maybe halfway through our festival run now. We actually just got invited to the Fargo Film Festival this morning. We got our, our invite. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. So, it's, um, you know, that's, we started the festival run on that in October. Woodstock, we played Hampton, or we rather saw it. We started Hampton's, played Woodstock the week after. We were in Napa Valley. So, yeah, so, you know, it, it's been, it, it started in October and, and it's doing the festival thing now. We're actually, at the, I think, kind of, we're, we're kicking around between the last few companies. We're deciding on, on where, what direction we're going to go in distribution. Mm-hmm. And it's sounding like that will be out uh, commercially in the May, June range uh, of, this, of, of 2019. So um, it's nice. working its way out there. It's not quite ready yet. But yeah, I mean, as far as it, it's, you know, it's, I do, it's the first film I've ever worked on that really truly uh is important i think <laughs> like I, I do a lot i do a lot of films that are crazy in love is dead is an example of this it's an adaption of a buddy of mine love is dead i mean is an adaption of a buddy of mine's play mm-hmm. super dark and twisted it's just a it's just a, a, a what i find to be a hilarious and, and and a great little story it's not uh socially significant necessarily uh, whereas Ask for Jane is it absolutely socially significant. It's, it, it basically is dealing with, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, it's about this, this group of actual women in the late 60s in the, at the University of Chicago who started an illegal abortion network out of their dorm room, these mm. 18, 19-year-old girls, um, when it was still legal in the U.S., and they helped 11,000 women over uh, like a seven or eight-year span uh, get safe abortions that – you know, otherwise they wouldn't have had access to. And in so many of those situations, uh, even while this was available, but not available to, you know, other women around the country, uh, around the world, um, you know, women die yeah. <laughs> trying, trying to, to make this, this. Yeah. Try, yeah, trying, trying to find solutions for this in their life. Mm. And these women saved God knows how many lives uh, over that time span. And, you know, with the political climate in the U.S. and there are other places in the world where it's a, a significant topic of conversation as well, um, it's wildly important. And uh, it, it's been crazy to me uh, how different of an experience this all is. The festival stuff, the re- just the reception to it. And, you know, we're not even in the distribution phase yet, but mm-hmm. I can see how it will be different um, just based on the reactions at the festivals and stuff uh, and, and the reactions of the distributors themselves watching it. You know, it's, it's amazing to me how, uh, you know, I know film's a powerful medium and I know what it's capable of to some degree, but to be in it and watch it happen and see the responses of people at these festivals, 
you know, it's insane to me. It's crazy how incredible and wild it is uh, to be to be telling a story that is so important in an important time for it. Um, I can't stress enough. <laughs> It'll be hard to go back to <laughs> just crazy little weird films uh, after this because, um, you know, I see how much of a different uh, just walk it is. You know, filmmaking is so hard. It's so much easier when you have something really important to say. <laughs> you're so right because it's suddenly people go oh i've got to watch this because it's going to make a difference to this that and the other and yeah when you're making quirky films that are a bit funny and a bit this yeah it's harder to sell whereas this it's it is as soon as i saw the trailer i was like oh wow okay this looks really good and you've got a great yep. cast cody horn yeah uh, sarah ramos alison wright uh, yeah i mean just fantastic how did you get involved then as a producer uh that was uh i I produced a film uh, – well, Rachel and Kate are, are kind of the spearheads of the project. They uh, developed and wrote it together before I came on board, and they are in a, a theater group in New York uh, called The Shelter with a gentleman, Greg Imita, who directed, wrote and directed a film I produced uh, – three summers ago now mm-hmm. um and when rachel and kate had finished the script and they were they knew that they would be producing this um in an independent fashion and maybe wouldn't have the number of dollars that would be ideal to do so with yeah uh they were asking their friends for a producer who's good at that stretching a dollar uh which is easily that's that's what I. That's my niche. Is, that's you, know. you. You're like, yep. Hello, yeah. hand is already up. Yeah. That's that's. Yep. Yeah. yeah. The the you know all God's creatures. The first one was thirty. We made what would bear do for eleven thousand dollars. Wow. Catch twenty two. We made for uh, under sixty grand at this point. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I've gotten very good at making feature films for amounts of money that you know a lot of producers can't even fathom. So, yeah. um. And asking Greg for a recommendation, he was like, oh, I got your guy. <laughs> so, and you were like, yeah, right. great. You met these yep. girls and said, yeah, this script looks amazing. And yep. yeah, how was the producing process then for you on this to, to come in as on someone else's baby and kind yeah, of that's, make it that's work? Kinda, that, again, kind of that again kind of goes back to that idea about the you know a film with something to say is the process of this, the fundraising process, the casting process you already mentioned. Uh, it was just it's never i've never it's just amazing to me how easy it was <laughs> really was it yeah, that- yeah they they wow. had done when i came on board they had they were in the midst of a crowdfunding campaign for a quarter million bucks which is wow uh they had a little crowdfunding experience but nothing of that magnitude that's massive and, amount to yeah raise. that's huge regardless of yeah. what your experience level is uh so that was kind of you know uh maybe overly ambitious and they did mm-hmm. not succeed in that sure. uh but in the um outreach for this which again you know that's it's all about just <laughs> rattle enough chains knock on enough doors uh with this stuff is kind of kind of the name of the game but in doing all their outreach for the crowdfunding campaign uh they're involved with some organizations NYWIF, uh new york women and film and television in new york and some others professional women's organizations and you know basically any woman who was alive during this time period with the film is about and remembers what that was like and how significant roe versus wade was and mm. you know this becoming a, a legal part of uh, or becoming a legal thing uh how important that was um was kind of who are successful at this point in life were kind of just like 
how much do you need and where do you need me to send the check? Amazing. You know? uh, so they had, they kind of already had a lot of the financier um, targets lined up as I was coming on board. And I just kind of helped sit down. I sat down with them and those investors and structured a professional presentation of the material and how we were actually going to achieve this goal of making a film for X, Y, X, Y, Z number of dollars. Um, and in and, and a, and a structured way because they had never done it before, you know. So yeah. I kind of just I just organized a very pretty package to begin with. Okay. Uh, and, and, and that's how we found the financing for that. And then, you know, we brought on Eve Battaglia, who's a casting director I've worked with before to cast it. Mm-hmm. And she did an incredible job of getting it in uh, reps hands of uh, the women who ended up become, coming on board and, and many others, too. Um, and it was kind of, you know, not that we had our pick, but I mean, some of the names that the script passed through and who gave it serious consideration, um, some of the, the women who signed on are amazing. Some yes, of the, and yeah. there were many others that were, I mean, just unbelievable names that gave it serious consideration uh, because of what it's about. And again, they were both them and the reps were able to discern that this was an important film uh, that would be worth being part of, even if we could only pay them tuppence. <laughs> yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause sometimes these names, they, they want to do something that's worthy, especially if they've done some big, you know, a Marvel movie or, you know, that type or done a right. big TV show well, for like, ages you know. like flash. You kind of go, well, they want to do something with a bit more heart, if you like a little bit more realism. Right. Um, so yeah, so with us for Jane, you're not doing self-distribution. You're literally going down the route of sales agents yes. to distribution. Is because yep. on Love Is we Dead actually, you are. But so what's the what's the reason? Is it because it's a bigger film? You feel like we can get some weight behind it? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's certainly a part of it. I mean, it's just an easier film to sell, and thereby mm-hmm. easier to get the distributors that you want to work with. Uh, to 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 take the film on. I mean, you know, after having done this for a decade, uh, <laughs> I've learned that you know there are a lot of companies out there, and pretty much any film can find a distributor. Getting a distributor uh, is not that hard. Um, getting a distributor that is worth their salt, mm-hmm. that can actually bring added value to the film, mm. is very very difficult. Yeah. Because they'll um, all take it because they'll get a 30% whatever advance exactly. or whatever yeah. it is. And they that, just will throw it against the wall. And yep. if it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, not, they you know, take their money they, and go, thank you. We don't need to do anything more with it. Yeah. Happened right. to a lot of my friends' films recently. They all go, it's yeah. great. We've got this great deal, big company. And they go, great. Because they get, the, I think it's the, the expenses cap. And that's what you've got to be very careful of is yep. the expensive cap. Let's say it's 30 to 50K. They go, great. They, they actually sell it in a few places. They get the 50K. Well, now they don't want to push it anymore because it's they're going to only get two percent or whatever the fuck it is uh, where they'll go get another film and get another 50k i'm not saying they're all like that but like you say they're really hard to find the right ones yeah it's a big part of the revenue model exactly that i mean your yeah your 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 major deal points with with the distribution deal are yeah tenure the 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 length of the, the length of the deal the that you know that big percentage if you can actually get past the expenses how you know how the revenue will be split and then yeah i mean one of the big things is expense cap because these companies uh and i'm not you know dropping any unknown wisdom here i mean as you said it's you know they basically they're going to all these film markets you know 
Can Berlin, uh, AFM, the one I already mentioned, yeah. uh, and God knows where else, MIPCOM and all those. And, and they're, you know, they have a whole catalog of films. Say a company arbitrarily has 100 films. You're one of 100. Yep. Theoretically, uh, and, and they can kind of change this too, but like theoretically, you would be getting one one hundredth of their expenses, assuming they are actually actively selling all 100 of these hypothetical films exactly. at the market they're at. You're, they're supposed to spread one percent of the of those hundred films, the expenses that they are uh, of the market costs across each one of those films. Um, and you know the thing is that's an internal accounting thing. <laughs> like mm-hmm. how those ex- how much expenses there are, how much are actually attributed to what would be the the you know the 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 current catalog, if you will, versus you know titles that they acquired uh, two, three, four however else long years ago um is very it's a very big gray area how those things get accounted for so how much is actually being spent truly on your film is very hard to discern even if you get to a legal audit stage which Mm. is you know it's kind of with these smaller films like the expense of that audit is going to probably eat up what any any revenue that you would find that's due to you anyway so like why bother with the audit so so much of it is a leap of faith and just kind of do I trust these people and is it going to be worth my time? You know, do I believe it's going to be worth my time? And, and I've learned that in so many cases it's not, you know, and in the case of love is dead where we self-distributed, you know, we made that film for 32 and a half grand and it's got some great talent in it. Lolita Foster, Alice Krimmelberg, Al yep. Thompson, who have resumes a mile long, um, you know, great TV and, and, and film credits. Yeah. But no one you're gonna... being one of them. Yeah. Yeah. But these World people have worked bombs. a lot. I mean, yeah, yeah, Alice, yeah. Alice is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, uh, and, and Alice and Lolita were both on, you know, one of the hottest shows there is there's right now with, yeah. with with Orange Is the New Black. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're certainly great actors and accomplished. But you're not, you can't, you know, you're not going to sell a film on their names alone. So yeah. uh, that coupled with the fact that the film is super fucking weird, it's, it's fucking like, weird. It's brilliantly weird. It's <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an adaptation of a, of a dark, twisted play that is crazy absurd and offensive and just you know it deals with every terrible side of the human condition rape murder adultery all these terrible things um and then on top of that we shot it in this really weird aesthetic where it looks like it's a 1970s or 80s sitcom so it's a four by three aspect ratio Mm -hmm. the actual image itself is degraded down to this kind of standard definition quality and it looks like it's playing off of VHS tape. It does, yeah. From, yeah. yeah. So it's like there's all these these video and audio artifacts in the actual image. So it looks like kind of shit. <laughs> to a degree. We shot it on 4K. It's, it looks Brilliant. beautiful. The, yeah, great for Netflix. But, but we yeah. made it look kind of like shit for creative purposes. You could have just so shot it on the super iPhone. Weird. Yeah, worse. Like a handicap. Yeah. We shot it on iPhone. Oh, you did shoot on iPhones. <laughs> yes. We shot it on shot it on iPhone 6s uh, with the Filmic Pro app, and we used these. Honestly, the lenses were three times the cost of the phones themselves. The cameras, in quotations, um, we used these Zeiss uh, iPhone lenses um, that were really nice, actually. So, I mean, the, I mean, honestly, the film looked fantastic. Yeah. Uh, even being shot on iPhones, it was 4K. It was beautiful. Yeah, but, you can make them look nice on iPhones. You can. Yeah, but 100%. Then so, you graded it all down and crushed it so and made I, it 4.3. We, we should have just shot it on, I don't even know what. We yeah, handy We could have shot it on a, a handy, yeah. Yeah, or a, a television, actual television cameras from the old days. Yeah, yeah. videotape. We talked about that for creative purposes. Did you? But I, the, the, yeah. 
after that is insane. So. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, but that's um, okay. So this is it's basically like you say, like a three part sitcom series that's really dark and twisted. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and it's yeah, got a laughter track. It's got dark yep. shit going on, but it's, it's got, funny. It's got commercial breaks. It's got yeah, <laughs> and like the commercials we're using are all these public domain PSAs from the seventies uh, and eighties, uh, early eighties, basically. So they're you know they're all they're all PSAs about like. Uh, sexually transmitted diseases and alcoholism <laughs> and uh, all these things that are just, you know, terribly off-putting, basically. Totally. It's kind of amazing to me in, in doing the research and finding those commercials, some of the stuff that was put on broadcast television by government agencies. Yeah. Uh, time is kind of insane. It is. It and is. some of that, that's honestly been some of the, you know, uh, hopefully people like the actual film but some of the feedback we've gotten <laughs> uh and and people seeing the film are kind of just like oh my god like one i remember those commercials mm. and two holy shit i can't believe those are on television i know <laughs> isn't it weird now looking back at that yeah. you kind of go whoa we've come on so much um yes, we we have along in some capacities long, in some capacities um in, t- in terms of so did you see it as a play first is that how you saw it and then went oh this might yeah. make an interesting film Um, you know, we, we use the studio audience to kind of inform and uh, to both inform an actual person watching the film on like maybe how they should feel, but also as kind of like a commentary on all the horrible stuff that is happening within the narrative. Like, So shooting it wasn't a problem then because – or was it in terms of how you had to shoot that because – it's not conventional. It is TV style, no, if you like. Yeah, it was very. We we did that in a very weird way, man. We we rented uh, an actual proscenium type theater, a proscenium uh, march in, theater. In, yeah, okay, I know what you mean. Uh, in Long Island City, in New York, and we we rented it for two weeks, basically. So we had three days to shoot each one of the episodes. Um, wow, the acts. Okay, and we we um, basically. They, all, all three of them went in the same format. We did a day of – and this was, again, kind of I was trying to recreate that sitcom thing. We did an entire day of just rehearsal on the set. Great. Uh, no shooting at all. No, the, 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 the cinematographer was there just to kind of watch. Yeah, to but see. But the camera forgot to turn it on. Uh, and then the second day we came in, ran a few times in the morning again to get reacclimated. The entire crew was there. Everyone could see what was happening uh, and how things were going to go. And then basically all afternoon we – shot what we anticipated would be just worthless takes <laughs> and we shot it you know and, and they we shot them uh in their entirety so this again the same way you kind of would a sitcom where it's basically live you know and we mm-hmm. shoot the whole piece front to back uh and then you know do it again <laughs> do it again <laughs> and we yeah. yeah and so you know we, we the, that second day we didn't expect much out of and then we would come in on the third day and all day long just shoot it over and over and over and over again as many times as we could before everyone went home um so oh we did that for each each piece, uh, and then we had one day off between each of the three episodes. So, our production designer, uh, who did just an unbelievable job, mm. uh, basically would tear down the entire apartment that she had built uh, for for the piece that we were on yeah. on the three days prior, 
And then in that overnight phase, and, and also during that first day of rehearsal, she would still be doing touch-ups and stuff, maybe some painting, uh, build the next apartment that we'd be shooting in, you know? So it was, we basically shot the whole thing in 11 days, um, even with those, or no, is that three things? Yeah, 11 days, even with the two-day turn, uh, the, 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 the turnaround day in between each of the, the two middle episodes. Um, so that was, yeah, a very, very hectic and um well in some ways it was not actually because so much of of independent film is usually location shooting and location shooting is is a jumble fuck <laughs> of, <laughs> hey, of, of, of disasters and unexpected things uh it was kind of you know somewhat of a controlled environment because we were in the same space every day and every it was weird uh, especially as a producer director, I've never had that convenience where you're like, you're coming to work every day. Mm. I would get on the subway in, in, in midtown, ride out to Long Island city for like 15 minutes on the subway and go to what amounted to my office, you know? And it was, for me, that was a, that was a super comforting and real and somewhat relaxing way to work compared to how I'm accustomed to, you know, you run to this new place and we build a set there basically theoretically every day mm. and then tear it down at the end of the day and everyone goes home and tomorrow we're doing that in a completely different place you know that's yeah. so much more um crazy really yeah it's pressure. Uh, but, there's know. a lot of pressure when you're doing that there's a lot of things can go wrong whereas if yeah. it's a lot less yeah. if you're in one place because you yep. kind of after the first few days you get used to it you're like okay i know where the toilet is <laughs> i know where but i could were, get a there, coffee. Were, there were also their own their own the whole litany of of location specific problems too you know we weren't shooting an actual sound stage we're mm. shooting in a theater so there's like pipes banging in some cases right <laughs> like everyone's house is yep. gonna go well there's nothing we can do yep. so just take it okay so love is dead uh which is out now in the uk and the usa so people yep. can go get this now which is really exciting um 100%. So, in terms of selling the film, then you've decided to self-distribute it yourself. So, yeah, talk yeah, us I through guess that's, this. That was the point of this. Yeah, the so yeah because of all those you know weird aspects of it, and then also not having a cast that's going to be able to overcome that sales-wise, hmm. um, and knowing you know it's not that we didn't have any options with distribution. It's just I know from my experience that the ones that we did have. Uh, interested in the film were not going to actually do anything. They were basically just going to throw it on the platforms mm -hmm. and walk away from it. And why give someone 30% and the option to deduct expenses to do what amounts to something a chimpanzee could do yeah. <laughs> you know in so um you know I, i've done like i mentioned with those library titles of mine what would bear do all god's creatures catch 22 to some degree now we're, we're self-distributing that because of a horror story with the distributor that we actually signed on for for it wow. um ended up defaulting on in their agreement and we took the you know fought for the rights back Good. and now we're self-distributing that too Good for you. um yeah no question uh, but you know, and that's for, you know just one of many examples I know of of things not going right with the wrong distributor. So um, I know how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and there are companies uh, I've really been. These guys should start giving me kickbacks at this point. A lot of the yeah. PR I'm doing for Love Is Dead is PR for them too. But uh, <laughs> Film Hub. Film Hub. Uh, I love Film Hub. Yeah. Yeah. Film Hub's amazing. Those guys are great. The formerly Kino Nation. They're like, you know, they were started by a group of filmmakers. They're super indie minded. They're very transparent and upfront about what they do. It's basically an 80 20 split um, off, off gross revenue, yep. non exclusive. So if you want to work, you know, you can keep territories and platform rights, you know, because like a perfect example is Amazon. Like Amazon, there is no gatekeeper. You can get it onto Amazon without anyone else's help basically you don't need an aggregator um but 
Film Hub does, the way if you self-distribute with go, going through Amazon, you only have access to a few choice territories, U.S., U.K., Japan, and Germany. Yeah. If you go through an aggregator that has a, a more established relationship and they have this agreement in place, we have access to every, t- every territory worldwide, which, you know, in the case of Catch-22, uh, you know, Shawnee's involved with that too, but whatever. We, we didn't, we, we thought it, keeping control of it and just doing it ourselves is what we did in that case. But because Shawnee is an Irish national, we wanted to have access to Ireland as a territory with our yeah. release. Yeah. So we decided to go through Film Hub even for Amazon um, because they do have access to that as an SBOD option via Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just one example. They have, you know, they work with. It's, uh, you know, the the story I've told a few times now for this, like, I have gotten royalty statements from Film Hub for my, some of my library titles that I have uh, uh, placed with them with company names on the royalty statement that I've never heard of before. <laughs> so, like, I'm making revenue from places via them that I don't even know exist. So, go. to yeah. me, that's pretty cool that I can do that in both. Uh, yeah, in, in a non-exclusive way, so the the places that I do know about and am able to monetize on my own, and I don't have to give money away on that. Mm-hmm. I have that option available still to me still, but they can go do their thing uh, in places that I don't have that that acumen with, you Absolutely. know, and that's really cool to me. It's really cool. Um, well, Klaus uh, Badell is on our episode forty. For those of us or those of you out there who want to listen to a bit more of what Film Hub is, there's a full episode dedicated to it on episode forty. A link will be in the show notes. I totally agree. I think Film who, who Hub. Who did you talk to? Klaus Klaus Badelt there, who's also okay. a composer and a very successful composer as well. Um, yeah, really cool people. Really, really a, a good place for independent filmmakers to put their films. And like you've just said, you got revenue from somewhere you didn't know you know just came back <laughs> yeah. you're like well that's fucking great isn't that what it's yeah, about right cool. making revenue yeah. from your films and just all you have to do is put it up there you know it's not that easy but you you just put it up onto the site so yep yeah y- yeah no you do have there's you yeah. know it's, it's like any platform there's a, yeah you've a, still a million, got a fillion assets yeah. you got to figure out what uh delivery assets but yeah i mean there's no they're they're super helpful with that and they're not you know again too even with some of the distributors were you know, you'd think that they'd be trying to work with you. That's another area where I've had distributors make money on me from, you know, delivering, basically. You know, we with All God's Creatures, like I said, it was our first time. We had no idea what the hell we were doing. And they required a, a million stupid formats that were never going to be used. Mm. Uh, PAL, Betacam tapes, and all these things that were never going to, you know, the film was never going to be actually distributed to a place where those were necessary. But in kind of arch, uh, archaic-minded fashion, they wanted every possible asset on hand just in case a sale opportunity arose it would already be there and you know that's some level you know that's somewhat understandable in the sense that you would they wouldn't want to be out and make a deal and then not have the asset to be able to deliver on the deal but Uh, but also i think you got to be if you're working with a small film i think you got to be at least a little bit understanding like you know unless something comes up you know Know that we may have to make this, and maybe even you know they can make it obviously very easily, and just yeah. charge that against the film. Yep, indeed. To make a tape, if they have to. Yeah. Um, but you know they wanted us to put that uh, front that cost basically and deliver them something that they may never use, and that was like a huge thing I learned on that deal too. To to n- negotiations aren't just those deal points; they are also delivery. Look at what you have to give a distributor mm-hmm. in order to 
make the deal good because it may be more expensive or more cost prohibitive to do that deal than to just self-distribute and then lose some of the maybe access to whatever opportunities they might be able to generate for your film sales-wise. If you have to spend more money to make that opportunity happen, like is it's not actually a benefit. You no, know? not at all. Um, so what you've you've so, got it. So you've got it on your website. So you're selling it independently there or are you just putting on film hub at the moment how's it working for you what's the best so yeah strategy? So, so yeah it's it, it'll it released uh uh in november uh via on amazon and vimeo through and that those are placements via film hub yeah. uh you can find if you go to in my production company website nyeh uh n is in nancy yeh entertainment.com you can find all my films on there love is dead is of course one of them there's plenty of links to to those actual platforms and then film hub is also working to uh get it placed you know all those other places some i've heard of some i haven't <laughs> uh and they actually also another company that I, i've been mentioning that is also very cool and like-minded uh is bid slate which actually film hub and bid slate now have a partnership and they work hand in hand on some things which is kind of a testament to bid slate also being cool wow. given okay. we said so many positive things about film hub that's so, yeah. super that's so, super so. thank you so much some wonderful advice there um very much so where can people follow the film love is dead on twitter and facebook uh, yeah, the, the films that you know, Love is Dead is, is the Facebook page for mm-hmm. that. Same for Asper Jane. You can just type Asper Jane in there. Yep. And uh, Asper Jane is also on Instagram. It's just at Asper Jane and on Twitter. Uh, and the website for that is askforjane.com. And then, yes, Love of His Dead has the Facebook page. <clears throat> I am of the, I, I, I'm not of the practice of, an, of a standalone Instagram and a standalone Twitter for individual film titles. Okay. I think that's a uh, somewhat... <laughs> Uh, divides your audience to a degree. I, I like to just funnel everyone to my personal and production company, uh, uh, Twitter and Instagram, which is on Twitter, it's at Josh Folan, and the production company is at NYEH Entertains. And then my Instagram is at my shift key is broke. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, at uh, my shift key is broke. That is amazing. Uh, uh, all, all. All capital letters. Uh, can, if, if you want, that's amazing. My shift key is broke. I'm writing it in now. My shift key is broke. That's one of the best handles I've ever heard. That is so good. Um, Josh, thank you so much for your time. This has been wonderful. Really appreciate that a lot. Thank you, man. Yeah. Thank you for allowing me about my nonsense. No, <laughs> I, I hope some of it's the benefit of the people that get stuck listening to it. Yeah, or listening to me rather. Yeah, <laughs> listening to me as well. Rattle on. It's always fun. <laughs> so do remember why you're doing it. If it's if it's for the love, don't get too stressed. If you're doing it because you want to earn money, then don't get too stressed. Filmmaking, although ridiculously hard, is a blessing. If you enjoyed listening to this, please like, share, and subscribe to us uh, on iTunes or on Podbean. You can follow me at Charles Alderson. You can follow the film filmmakers podcast at filmmakers pod um and if you have any questions you want reading out do get in touch why not thank you for your support thank you so much and remember if you're lucky enough to do well and rise up it's your duty to send the elevator back down josh this has been amazing thank you beautiful beautifully put man thank you pleasure and we will see you all next tuesday as always until then keep working hard and keep trying your best to take another step forward to making your indie film Till then, take care. Bye-bye. This was a podcast from the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com.